on your word, that we would, would uh, again, have that desire, that anticipation to hear from you. I pray you'll clear my mind, that you'll give me the strength, the voice, and, and body that I need, and you'll call to my memory what I've studied and what uh, you've showed me in Scripture. Father, I thank you for this time, and I pray that as a church, we would never take it for granted. In Christ's name, amen. There's a man by the name of Wagner Dodge. He was a professional firefighter. He was what was known and still known today as a smoke jumper. Now, I don't know if you know what a smoke jumper is, but a smoke jumper is a professional forest firefighter. And what these guys do, they make a living parachuting in to remote fires and fighting it by hand. Well, Wagner Dodge had a 15-man crew, and one day they were called to a fire in central Montana at a place that was called Man Gulch. And as they parachuted into this place, it looked like a pretty normal operation. So they headed in a single line down the gorge toward the Missouri River to take on the fire. Now, he left his men, once they got in the middle of that gorge, he left his men, said, you guys take a break. He went ahead to scout out what was going on. Well, when he got within about 150 yards of the fire, he discovered three things that would change his life forever. Number one, he realized the fire was a whole lot worse than they thought it was when they first parachuted in. And the wind had picked up and was driving the fire, so it was moving a whole lot faster than they first thought it was. Number two, the wind had not only picked up, but it changed direction. Now the fire was being pushed up onto the top of the gulch, up onto the ridge where, uh, above his men, and it was cutting off their only way of retreat. So at a, at a dead run, breakneck speed, he ran back to his men and he gave the order to retreat. But then he realized the gulch that they were in was what is known as a transitional zone. Now as you can guess, that's not a good thing. Now a forest fire will move anywhere from about four to six miles an hour. <clears throat> and most smoke jumpers will tell you that's not a problem. You can run faster if you're scared. You can run faster than six miles an hour. But the problem is, again, man's gulch was a transitional zone. What that means is the mountainous terrain and the trees transitioned into tall grass open prairie. And the grass was about waist to shoulder high. It was dry as a bone. It was ready to explode when hit with a flame. Now every firefighter worth his salt knows you might be able to outrun a forest fire, but you're not going to outrun a prairie fire in the open grassland. It's impossible to do so. So sap in the trees, it got so hot, and he realized, hey, we got to figure something out. The fire was on its way, the huge wall of fire moving toward them, and sap in the trees began to boil, and the trees began to explode like bombs going off. Smoke was thick as fog. Ashes and embers were falling down like snow. There was no escape. Dodge and his 15 men were trapped. It looked like the only options that they had was to stand and burn up, turn and burn up, or run and burn up. He, in his own words, said, I, I realized we had about 60 seconds to live, and I thought, I'm out of options. Well, folks, last week, you may remember, we started a series of messages entitled, Out of Options. And I think we've all been in a situation, maybe not in a fire like this, but we have been in our lives in situations surrounded by the fires of circumstances where we felt like we were out of options. Amen. Can we, can we agree with that? 
We felt like there was nowhere to turn. Many people have felt that way. That's why they end up, uh, uh, you know, cheating on taxes or embezzling from the company or, or padding their expense account. Uh, college kids feel like they have no options, so what do they do? They cheat on the exam. Uh, people feel like they have no options, so they just go ahead and give in, do the wrong thing, and completely fail. They give up, they give out, and they give in. Again, we're in a series entitled Out of Options. Now, these simple messages, folks, there's a purpose. They're to help all of us deal with those situations and those times when we feel like we're out of options. And this entire series is pretty simple. When you think you're out of options, there's always the God option. Amen? So let me put it simpler to you. Put another way, you're never out of options with God. Today, we're going to look at one of the most familiar and famous and one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I've got quite a few of them, I realize, but this is one of my favorites because it is so relevant to where we are today in the world as a nation, as the church in America, and as the children of God today in America. So take your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Remember, we were in Daniel last week, and I thought, why not? Let's do it again this week. Daniel chapter 3. Now, as you turn in there, you're going to remember, this is going to be familiar to you. This is the story of the three young men who were thrown into the fiery furnace. And the reason they were thrown into the furnace was because they stood against what was wrong and they stood for what was right. Now, you may remember the story and not remember these three Hebrew boys' names. You may be like a preacher I heard about. There was an old pastor and he was getting on up in years and I used to think it was funny. It's not near as funny as it used to be. Uh, he was getting on up in years and once in a while... His mind has slipped a little bit. Well, he was going to preach on this story that we're looking at today on a Sunday morning. And he could not, to save his life, remember the names of those three Hebrew young men. And so he thought, I'm going to fix this. He looked around and he found in his coat pocket a business card that somebody had given him for a law firm. So he turned that card over and he wrote the names of these young men on the back of that card, these young Hebrew men. And so when he was preaching... Right in the middle of the message, he paused. He said, now, of course, all of you remember the names of these three Hebrew boys. And he pulled that card out of his coat pocket. The only problem was he had the wrong side facing him. And he said, now, the name of these three Hebrew boys was Applebaum, Bernstein, and Finkelman, attorneys at law. (laughs) Now, listen, folks, regardless, regardless whether you know the names of these guys or not, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether you know their names, and also the fact that that even though this story is 2,500 years old, it is still as up-to-date as the headlines in the news today. Keep in mind, when you read these uh, stories in the Old Testament, these stories out of the Bible, you're not just simply reading what has been done, but you're reading what God is doing. You're not just reading what God has said, but you're really reading what God is saying. And let me drive the, the point home a little deeper. You're reading how God wanted His people to live then, but friend, you're also reading how God wants His people to live right now. Now, there's a great lesson that all of us need to learn. And I'm talking to Christians predominantly this morning. 
All of us who profess to be Christians. All of us who are going to follow Jesus Christ and stay true to His Word. There's a lesson that we need to learn, especially in the coming days, weeks, months, and years here in our nation. And that lesson is this. When facing the fire, you stand for what's right, you stand for God, and you take the heat. That's the lesson we learned today. When you're confronted with a situation where you can either stand for what's right or compromise with what's wrong, always take these three steps. Number one, take courage from God. I want you to look at verses 1 through 6 of Daniel chapter 3. There's three parts to this story, and actually it's, it's pretty much set up for us in these first six verses. <clears throat> it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits, that's about 90 foot, and the breadth thereof six cubits, that's about nine foot wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together, uh, together, together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and language, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So the story set up for us, folks. Now remember... And you don't know this from other messages I preach, but from last week you probably ought to remember this as well. Israel, because of their disobedience, because of their disregard to God, God allowed them to be taken Babylonians. And the Babylonians took some of the finest young men of Israel back to Babylon. And the purpose for taking these young men captive back to Babylon was to indoctrinate them and to make them productive Babylonian citizens. Now the leader of Babylon was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was the most powerful monarch in the world. As a matter of fact, if you study ancient history, actually folks, no one else before Nebuchadnezzar and no one else after Nebuchadnezzar ruled over more people, over more property and more land than he did. He was not only commander-in-chief of the most powerful army on earth, but he was also the high priest of political correctness. See, he wanted everybody to bow down at the same altar, worship the same God, and he wanted to make sure everybody was included and nobody was excluded. Now let me say this, Nebuchadnezzar reminds me of a lot of so-called leaders that we have in our country today. The only thing that's not going to be tolerated is anybody who will not tolerate what they won't tolerate it. I'm not going to say that again, so I hope you caught it that first time. I think you get where I'm headed with this. If you don't agree with them, you're wrong. That was Nebuchadnezzar's idea. Now, he lifted up, built a gold image of a pagan god out on the plains of Dura. And at an appointed time, he said, everybody is going to bow down and worship this thing. And there were to be no exceptions, no exemptions. Now, did you notice in the first six verses the list of dignitaries that were there? I mean, everybody who was somebody. It was a variable political who's who. 
uh, they were all there on the scene. They were gathered together to join in to this cult of conformity and bow down to this pagan god. I think I've told you this before. Can you just imagine what a sight it was? You know, there were people being interviewed for, for Good Morning Babylon. CNN was out there. The news, you know, the, the Chaldean News Network. I'm sure that they were, they were recording everything that happened. I mean, this, folks, this was a big deal. Nebuchadnezzar had made a new religion. I mean, he had, had formed a new god. And he had said that everybody is going to join my church. And you're going to join it today at the same time. Now the alternative was, if you didn't join this church, you were going to be barbecued like a spare rib. Now, at this point in time, something wonderful happens. Something great takes place. The wind of this demonic commandment and law is met head on by the wall of divine courage. Now get the picture. Everybody... When the music strikes up, you know, the, the, the horns and the, trumpet, the bagpipes, the trumpets, they're all playing. Everybody hits the knees, except for three guys. <laughs> now get this, as far as you can see, people are bowing. Three guys say, nope, we ain't going to do it. They refuse to bow. We know what happens. Somebody's going to go tell the king what they did. Look at verse 12. says, uh, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, think for just a moment, folks. Anybody and everybody who was somebody fell in line and did just exactly what they were told. They went along to get along. Everybody except these three men. Now, you talk about a profile in courage. Listen to me, it does not take any courage to be part of the immoral majority. But it does take courage to be part of the moral minority. To go against the world's ideas, the world's philosophies, to, to hold on to your convictions and to stand for God, that takes courage. Now these three young men, they could have rationalized, they could have compromised their convictions so easily. I mean, we've all heard things like this said before. They could have said, well, I don't believe I'll let my beliefs interfere with my politics. You ever heard that? One more person tells me that, I'm liable to slap them. They could have said, well, everybody else is doing it. And you know, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. Or maybe, does this sound familiar to you? I don't believe I'll impose my morality on someone else. Or this one, well, you know, preacher, it's legal, so it must be right. Listen to me, I hope. Everybody in here today has got enough common sense to understand just because something's legal does not mean it's right and does not mean it's godly. One of the greatest lessons I believe any parent will teach their children is how to have courage and stand for the right even when they feel like they're standing all alone. The reason I say that's a great thing to teach your kids because when you stand for what's right and you're standing against the tide, the only way you can do that is by the courage of Almighty God. So this is what I want you to get. Always remember, when you stand for what's right, you're not standing alone. God's standing with you. When you feel out of options and you're tempted to compromise on what's right, 
Remember, take courage from God. But there's a second thing you need to do, Christian. You need to keep confidence in God. Now, old Nebuchadnezzar, he hears about the disobedience of these three men. <clears throat> and you know, he's, I'm sure he's full of himself. He's king of the world at this time. And I can just imagine that his temperature goes higher and his temper's hotter than the fire in the furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar decides, I'm going to give these guys a second chance. Going to give them, uh, uh, you know, uh, the process to save their lives. And so what Nebuchadnezzar does is, he makes an offer that according to worldly standards, only a fool would refuse. Look at verse 15. He says now, if, and he's talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now if you be ready, that what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. In other words, that would be good. But if you worship not, you should be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And now look at the last line of verse 15. Look how arrogant this guy is. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? <clears throat> Folks, again, that question there. Do you realize that's the question you're going to be asked Every time when you're tempted to compromise, to give in, to go along, to get along, when you're tempted to do wrong instead of right because you're afraid to face the fire, that's a question that's going to be asked. What God do you serve? Who do you really believe in? Who do you really trust? Now what was their response? Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they said, King, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Or to put it in more modern English, they said, King, ain't no discussion. Our mind's made up. Now, I love this story. One of the reasons that I love this story is because I love the courage of these three men. They said, Ah, we don't even talk about this. We done made that decision. There was no fear, no fear, no flinch, no stutter or stammer. They looked the king right square in the eye and said, King, the time for talking's over. There's no debate, no discussion, no deliberation. We may burn, but we will not bend, will not bow, and will not budge. Christian, I want you to hear this, and I want you to remember this. In a storm, it's the tallest tree in the forest that's most likely to draw the lightning. So get this in your heart, out of your head, and down into your heart, especially in the dark days we're facing, and they're getting darker as the days go by. You need to stand and fade the heat. You need to stand for what's right. You need to hold by your God-given convictions. And if you do that, and you stand tall for what is right, and for God, you will draw the fire, the lightning, and the heat from an unbelieving world. And I'm going to tell you, it's sad but so true, not just from the world out there, but in many churches today. You stand for what's right, and according to God's Word, and you're going to draw the heat from the world in the church. So how's that possible, preacher? Because there's way too much of the world in the church today. That's why it's possible. I can give you three pastors right now in our association who are facing the fires of criticism because they stood on God's Word and they made decisions that were right. And people in the church said, we're going to run you off for that. Hope you realize right now, you ever come to me and say, preacher, we're going to run you off for that. I'm already gone. You understand, the moment this church says God's Word is not the most important thing, 
I'm out. I'm done. If you're not anchored in God's Word, what can you be anchored in? What can you be in that holds and doesn't give? Do you understand this world and all its philosophies and ideas is fading and drifting away? This Word lasts forever. Let me, let me say this. What if, what if Shadrach, and this is what a lot of Christians wish today. Well, I just wish that you know, we as Christians were in charge. Well, let's say if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they'd been in charge, I'm sure they, had, they could have exercised a number of other options. I mean, they just said, uh, uh, tear the image down. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, recall, resend that law. They could have, you know, bricked the furnace up. They could have exempted themselves. But here's the problem, folks. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not in charge. And at this point, they were out of options. So what do they do? Look at verse 17. It says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of Thy hand, O King. Man, I'm telling you, I love these guys. There is no backup to them. I mean, they open their mouth and speak the truth from God and tell the king, this is the way it is. Whatever happened, these guys were going to walk into it, not groaning, complaining, saying, woe is me. They were going to go into it singing and shouting, what a mighty God we serve. How great is our God. They were going to face the fire with faith. Now the reason they had such tremendous faith is because they knew they were placing that faith in a great and a mighty God who is able, the verse says. There's something that we forget and we need to remember, Christian, we serve a God who is able in all things. Scientifically, our God's able to take nothing and make everything. Redemptively, our God's able to take grief and turn it into glory. Physically, our God's able to take sickness and illness and turn it to wellness. Spiritually, our God's able to take a rebellious heart and turn it into a redeemed heart. And eternally, our God's able to take the sunset of death and turn it into the sunrise of resurrection. Our God's able. Amen? Now what they say next is one of the greatest statements of faith in God in all the Bible. Look at verse 18. They said, if so, if, let's go back to 17 read them together. If be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thy hand, O King. But look what they say in verse 18. But if not, but if He doesn't, be it known unto thee, O King, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship an image which thou hast set up. Brent, listen to me. I want you to put a circle. I have it in my Bible highlighted and circled. Put a circle around those three words. But if not. But if not. I mean, you know what that tells us? That tells us they'd already made their mind and heart up. They'd already decided what was right and what was wrong, and they wasn't going to budge. You know, too many Christians today, they spend way too much time trying to make up their mind what they're going to do when they're faced with a situation to give in and to give up. I told you this last week. You better make your mind up now. Don't wait for that time to happen. Listen, every day before you walk out the door of your house, you need to make your mind up that you're going to live for God today. That you're going to follow God today. You're going to obey Him today. 
I learned a long time ago, if you'll just make one big decision, it'll take care of having to worry about a lot of little decisions. They already decided they were going to choose the fire. They were going to take the heat. They knew that God could deliver them from the fiery furnace, but they didn't know if God would deliver them. So put it this way, whether He would either deliver them from it or through it, they had no idea. They were going to stand with God and for God whether they lived or died. Now understand me, folks. Real faith is not the confidence that God's going to work things out the way we want them worked out. Real faith is the confidence that God will work things out the way He wants it worked out. The truth is, when you stand for God, and I'll just be honest with you, when you stand for God, you love and obey God, you may very well die. You stand for God, love God, and obey God, you may very well lose your job. You stand for God, obey God, and love God, things may go from bad to worse in your life. Understand that true faith is not believing that you will live and not die. Faith is not believing you will be healed and not die. True faith is believing it's better to die than to live if that's God's will for your life. That's true faith. That's a but if not faith. But if not, that understands that we can always be sure of, of we can't always be sure what's going to happen, but we can always be sure of the one who's controlling what's going to happen. Listen to me, Christian. This is our confidence, and we believe this. I do, and I hope you do as well, that disappointment does not mean that God has disappeared. Uh, death doesn't mean that God has failed. And difficulty does not mean that God's weak or out of control. If you face the fire and you take the heat, remember, God's eye is on the thermometer and His hand is on the thermostat. And the fact is, He is in control of it all. And because of that great fact, we can take the heat whenever it comes. Remember this, if you feel like you're out of options, you're faith with e faced with either compromise or taking the heat, taking the fire, take courage from God. Keep confidence in God. And the third thing, honor your commitment to God. There's no small print in the contract of these guys' faith. I mean, their commitment was to the core. If God delivered them from the furnace, they would live for Him. If God delivered them through the furnace, they said, well, we're going to live with Him. Either way, we win. Whether they lived or whether they died, they had made a commitment to God and they were going to honor that commitment, whatever it cost them. But here's the thing about it. You realize Nebuchadnezzar had made a commitment also. He'd made a commitment to his gods. And you know what? In his mind, I give these boys a second chance and they blew it. So if it's heat they want, I'm going to give them heat. This is where the story gets exciting. You, you know this part. He tells them, heat the fire up seven times hotter than it normally is. I mean, he was determined. He was determined. You're going to defy me? Okay, then I'm going, to, I'm going to put you in that fire. You're going to go from rare to exceedingly well done in the blink of an eye. And then he thought, you know, the smoke's going to be a reminder to everybody else, you better step in line and stay in line. This is what happened. Look at verse 23 through 25. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, or astonished. He rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. 
He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God, or like the Son of the gods, is really what's translated. So now, there are three men thrown into this burning, fiery furnace, but, but he says, I see four men in the furnace. Now, scholars have debated for years, hundreds, thousands of years, I guess, uh, about what is meant by Son of God or, or uh, someone that looks like sons of the God. Now, many believe the fourth person in the fire looked like the Son of God because He was the Son of God. And I actually believe that as well. I believe what we have in this story is an Old Testament appearance of the New Testament Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar, he now realizes uh, these boys can stay in the fire all day. It's not going to faze them. So what does he do? He waves the flag of surrender. Look at verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants, now notice how he addresses them this time, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come thither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. Now, let's do the math. Verse 24, three men are thrown in the fire. Verse 25 tells us there are four men in the fire. Verse 26 tells us three men came out of the fire. So where'd the fourth man go? You know this, folks. That fourth man's still in the fire. So let me explain this to you. When you take the heat for God, God takes the heat for you. Understand, Christian, Jesus did not come to this world to get us out of trouble. He came to this world to get the trouble with us. You never need to fear the furnace. Think about this. If these boys had kept their mouth shut, minded their own business, gotten in line and done what they were told, they wouldn't have been thrown into the fiery furnace. But think about this. If they hadn't been thrown into the furnace, they would have never experienced the very presence of God. They would have never enjoyed the power of God. They would have never known the, the encompassing protection of God in those times of trials. Listen to me, Christian, when you're tempted to take the coward's way out, when you give in to that temptation and you forsake your convictions and you compromise your integrity, do you know what you're doing? You're removing God from the equation. And you don't give God a chance to show just exactly what a mighty and powerful God He really is. Listen, those times of facing the fire, there are opportunities to prove that with God you can face any fire. With God, you can handle anything. You can take any heat. That's what those opportunities do. They prove it to you, but they also prove it to the lost world. And oh yeah, you remember those firefighters I told you about at the first of the message? Well, it turns out they did have another option. Wagner Dodge, pretty experienced, and, and, and he began to think, what are we going to do? So he took a match out of his bunker coat pocket, box of matches. He lit a match, and he threw it into that shoulder-high grass right there in front of him. And his men thought he lost his mind. What is he doing? Because whoosh, immediately it caught fire. And that flame began to spread in an ever-widening circle. And then he said, boys, follow me. And he jumped across the fire into that new fire line that he had made, into that spot where the fire had already burnt away everything that was flammable. They got down on his knees. He took his canteen, wetted a piece of cloth, and he told his guys, follow me. And he put it over his face. And he got down as low as he could on the ground. And they waited. 
And in just a few moments, that surging wall, firewall, came at him with all of its fury. And it hit that spot where he was at. But you know what the fire did? It split and went around it and went right over top of him. Why? Because there was nothing there left to burn. And it went by so fast, didn't even singe the hair on his head. Now, folks, the tragedy of that story is 13 of his men saw what he had done, but they decided they would try it on their own to make it, so they took off running. 13 of the 15 guys died in that fire. Only the guys who realized that fire cannot go where the fire had already been were saved. Let me say this. In other words, strangely enough, only the men who were willing to take the heat lived. Now let me close with this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked into, a, in essence, into a fiery furnace in the shape of a cross. And He took the heat of God's wrath against our sins so we could be forgiven. So we could be redeemed. Not just from the fire of sin, death, and hell, but so that we could have the light of eternal life. Now if you're a Christian, I want you to listen to me. If for no other reason than that, every chance you get to take heat for Christ, you ought to take it. Because He took the greatest heat for you and me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, please. With every head bowed, I want to make one more comment and then we'll have a time of invitation. If you are a believer, I want you to listen to me. The next time, the next time you feel like you're out of options and you're facing either compromise or the fire, I want you to remember this message. Remember this story. Take courage from God to be able to stand against the flow and against the worldly ideas and philosophies. That courage only comes from God. Take courage from God. Keep confidence in God. He's in charge. He's the one in control. And then honor your commitment to God. Stand for Christ and take the heat. Because remember, when you're facing it, you're never alone. Christ is in the fire with you. You're never alone no matter what fire you may be taking. No matter what you may be facing. See, that's the glory and the joy of being a child of God. You're never alone no matter what happens. Father, I thank you for this story. I thank you for the courage of these three men and the example that it sets for us. And I pray for those here today who are your children who profess to belong to you. That, Father, we'd be willing more and more as, as the days get darker, we'd be willing to stand. Stand for what's right. Stand for you and to not bend, bow, or budge. And then, Father, I pray for those here this morning who they don't know you because they've never surrendered their life to you. They have never uh, come to Jesus, to the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I pray today they would do that. They would establish that relationship with you. Father, I thank you for your patience and your long-suffering with us. I pray it would be extended one more time today. If perhaps there's one here that does not know you, or there's one here who knows you, but they've been living a life of compromise. Father, I pray today that would change in Christ's name. Amen. You stand, please. I have decided to follow Jesus. I
I have a, a decision to present to the church in just a moment. Uh, by way of announcements, Damon, is there anything else I need to touch on real quick? We got, don't forget, deacons, guys are meeting at 5 o'clock today over at Jeff's class. And uh, we'll have the business meeting tonight. 